Liverpool are in crisis. Manchester United are in the market for just about anybody. Cristiano Ronaldo is stuck in limbo and there's beef at PSG. I'm Dan Burke. This is the One Football Podcast and I'm joined as always by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And our guest today is an uh, apparently naked Joel Sanderson Murray. <laughs> well, we're all belting, aren't we? So, um, <laughs> now, I don't want that information to go public, but we are where we are. <laughs> are you genuinely naked? Like, I think the listeners deserve to know. I don't think they want to know. Um, I wouldn't say I'm, 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 full, I'm fully naked, but uh, you know, it, it, it's desperate times, and, and there is there is no need for clothes. Let's say in this in this scenario. Fair enough, fair enough. And they've just discovered an unexploded World War Two bomb in uh, in Friedrichshain in Berlin here, apparently. So uh, it could be getting pretty hot where I am as well. <laughs> that was some segue, that by the way. <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Before we start, Joel, I just want to know, you've also, um, you've conceded the Premier League title to me twice already this season. I'm just wondering if you're going to go for the hat trick now or? Yeah, I, I think by Monday I would, be, well, would have conceded to you. Um, maybe not maybe not today, but by Monday I would, I would have, you know, given the hat trick then. Um, I, I seem to text you at like sort of one or two o'clock in the morning after I've, mm. I've, I've dissected the results and it's a weird kind of booty call, isn't it, when I'm <laughs> conceding the title to you? <laughs> it really is, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, lucky me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, remember, before we uh, before we get stuck in, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can email us your questions, comments, or abuse to podcast at onefootball dot com, or tweet us at Fussball Dan or at Matt underscore Frolic. Or what's your handle, Joel, on Twitter? It's at Joel S Murray. But, at Joel S Murray. But go. don't tweet me. Tweet Matt. Yeah, tweet Matt. Ideally, but uh, yeah, I don't deserve any of the abuse. I'm like, just a lowly Spurs fan. <laughs> Yeah, we've got a very uh, another very cool listener question coming up at the end. Uh, for now, we're going to get stuck into the crisis at Liverpool. Two draws to start the season. Darwin Nunez headbutting people. Klopp blaming, blaming witchcraft. It's, it's all going on at Liverpool, isn't it, Joel? Uh, what is going on exactly? Has it been a bad start to the season or maybe just a little bit unlucky for you? I think there's, you know, to sort of get the diplomatic answer, I think there's elements of both. Um I, I don't think we get, uh, any Liverpool fan or, or you know Jurgen Klopp or the players can say you know there's not been elements of it of being a, a bad start and that the you know players haven't performed well um, because the first half against Fulham or I'd say the first hour against Fulham on the opening day of the season wasn't great the performance wasn't there uh, and then I think after the you know up until well, the first half hour against Crystal Palace I think Liverpool were really good and when they concede they don't quite react to conceding until they go down to 10 men and then suddenly they, they, they do perform well and I think they you know maybe could have nicked it at the end but it's it's been unlucky in the sense of when it comes to the injuries I mean for, for Liverpool to sort of go into the season they have to sort of bed in a new striker and and react to the fact that they've lost you know, Sadio Mane and, and that was always going to be you know that's always going to create some teeth and pains without the fact that you, you also got injuries on top and something Liverpool you know fans will remember um the injury crisis we have at centre half uh, two or three seasons ago, and suddenly that that seems to have replicated itself on, on the midfield. And I'm looking forward to in two years' time suddenly having no attackers to play because it seems, <laughs> that seems to be sort of a, a pattern that is emerging. But the, the injuries are obviously not helping, um, especially for the Crystal Palace game on Monday. You suddenly have you know Nat Phillips, who you know fifth or sixth choice centre half is is suddenly starting and. You could name a full 11, maybe even 13, 14 players who are the stars in lineup when it comes to, to the, the players Liverpool have else injured. So that that's maybe where it's been a bit unlucky. But um, you're also, I, I, I think Liverpool's, the results they've got have been 
completely fair, I would say. I'm mean, possibly maybe even a little bit lucky to, to not lose against Fulham because of how well they played. But at the same time, Jordan Henderson hits the bar in the 93rd mm-hmm. minute and Liverpool, you know, creating enough chances to, to, to score against Crystal Palace and maybe could have come away with, with six points from six uh, on another day. So it's it, there is, a, I would say, more unlucky than bad, but it's certainly a little bit concerning right now. Yeah, I was going to say that about the the Henderson uh, chance, or if you even want to call it that, it wasn't really a chance, was it? The the one that hit the bar against Fulham, you know, if that's an inch lower and goes in, Liverpool get a good win away on the uh, opening day of the season, having had a difficult game against Crystal Palace. You know, they had chances at nil nil to go go one nil up. Then, you know, maybe at one nil, even when the one nil down, if Nunez doesn't get himself sent off, Liverpool come back and win that game. Even with without Nunez, you nearly come back and win it. Like it's a very fine margin, isn't it? Um, Matt, do you think it's a case where the standards are so high at Liverpool now and perhaps they're so afraid of, you know, dropping points, uh, what with the way City can, you know, perform and and other teams around them? Is it it a case that there's just a bit of panic setting in maybe? Uh, Potentially, I think maybe because they've been there before, because that, like Joel just mentioned there, the the, the centre-back crisis of a few seasons ago might be playing in the back of their mind. I think there's probably one or two... Uh, elements of the aging squad. I don't want to say aging because, firstly, mid thirties isn't that old. Makes yeah. us sound terribly <laughs> old. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, in football terms, there was quite um, there was a little bit of a comparison being drawn to the end, the last season at Dortmund when Klopp was there, when they were absolutely horrible for the majority of the campaign, um, and it seemed as though players were running to the ground and were just after years of intense Klopp football, everything had kind of caught up with them. And I don't know whether or not that's being touted as a potential uh, reason for the injuries right now because to have so many out especially fresh into the season uh, a summer which didn't have any international football seems a little bit odd uh, but again I think maybe out of context is is the words I would use for the start to the season because if you're looking mm. at a couple of draws Within the campaign, sort of, I don't know, 10 matches in, 20 matches in, you might say, oh, Crystal Palace are a decent team. That's not a bad point. You might say Fulham are going to get relegated. So that's probably two points dropped. Right now, it doesn't look so bad because they haven't got a win on the board. But um, I I don't think it would be time to panic just yet. But let's wait to see what happens Monday night. Results at this point of the season always have so much more weight to them than results sort of middle of the season. Yeah. So it's... uh, it's People uh, sort of lack perspective, I think, sometimes. What What is going on with all these uh, injuries, Joel? And are they injuries that would, you know, really sort of be considered main players for Liverpool for the most part? Or are they the kind of squad players, a lot of them? Um, I think if, if I knew the answer to, to what's, what's going on with the injuries and um, and the clock it, then Liverpool would not have any issues. It, it's it, it's a really bizarre one. And, and I think what Matt... I saw, Matt I saw someone there, saying last week, that they, have, did they play too many pre-season games? That seems, I, I don't know, like a. Do, these are all, all fair sorts of things to, to throw at them, but I, I think with, with Liverpool's medical staff and the, and the fitness staff, they've um, they deserve a lot of credit for last season because they managed injuries very well, and you had players like uh, Joel Matip who who had nearly every season been interrupted by injury. There suddenly last season he managed to, you know, I think he's available for pretty much every match day, and um, it was the same for. Alex Oxley Chamberlain till February when he gets a bad injury and uh, sorry a bit barely in February and he gets a bad injury but then other than that he'd been available for pretty much two years so they're obviously doing something right and, and at the moment now <laughs> they're getting a lot of injuries we get to turn that back on them and say oh, they must be doing something wrong and 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 maybe maybe that isn't the case and and the, the fingers were sort of 
we're all maybe overlooking here is is Liverpool played every single game possible last season, uh, 63 games in the end, because they got to every the final every cup competition. Uh, and then you, you maybe Liverpool is feeling the after effects of that right now, rather than maybe we expected that to happen, even to expect the after effects to happen in, in the summer, maybe, and everyone, all the players getting injured while they're on holiday. Yeah. But but maybe now that they've, now they've had a break and they're coming back and the bodies have got to go again, and um, some of them just aren't having it. And, and, and the thing is, maybe this isn't going to be a possibly specific to Liverpool type of thing. Maybe you know, nearly every team in the Premier League and across Europe is, is going to have this kind of injury crisis at some stage of season. Because oh, they of- can all chill at the World Cup. Don't worry about that. Put the feet, <laughs> put the feet up in Qatar. Well, that's, that's a lot of them will get five weeks off, but I would be surprised <laughs> if Man, Man, Man City have a, an injury crisis at some stage in the season, and you know, and, and every single team get, gets that. Maybe it's just Liverpool's term early on, and, and it's affecting the results, and, and everyone's points on it. But it won't be surprised with the amount of games all these players across Europe and the world have had to play over the past couple of years that we've seen some sort of effect. And I, I wouldn't be surprised this happens across a lot of teams uh, across Europe this year. Yeah. Well, Klopp was saying that uh, it felt like there was a witch in the building, didn't he? So maybe round up every woman in the Anfield area, burn them at a stake just to make sure. Like, can't be too careful, I guess, can you really? Um, I'm not even sure what to say. To that. I'm pretty sure this happened in the 20s. We've moved on from that, surely. You'd like you to think have, so. You're going to have male witches as well, I think. That's true, yeah, that is true. Yeah. So round up everybody. But are they not, are they not just wizards or is that something else? Uh, I think you've been playing too many fancy games. Yeah, I think I, think I have. Yeah. <laughs> Get out once in a while, Dan. Yeah, you need to in this weather. <laughs> uh, Matt, Darwin Nunez, we know he's a very good player. Uh, we know that part of his game is, you know, putting himself about a bit and, and making defenders know he's there. I think he let Joachim Anderson know he's there a little bit too much the other night, didn't he? He needs to, <laughs> needs to wind his neck in a little bit. Yeah, probably, probably needs to. Um, I think he just, it sounds like what everyone else is saying online, but it's true. He just got, played there was just there was just a smart bit of gamesmanship whatever you call it from from Joachim Anderson and Nunes maybe needed to relax himself a little bit and kind of learn to expect this but I guess it better it happens early on he learns from it and then from here on out he should yeah he should know better I it can't be the first should. time he's experienced that kind of defended though he played in Uruguay for god's sake yeah well well you never know maybe that kind of stuff is I don't know, a bit a bit more prevalent potentially um to the point where it doesn't look so out of place like we we all seem to be absolutely you know um shocked with a headbutt but maybe that's a bit more commonplace in in a rougher rougher part of the world um when it comes to playing football who knows maybe he's just been that good when it comes to his physical prowess against other defenders and other leagues that there hasn't really been someone like that um a defender like that who's been so smart but yeah i, I I hate praising Addison because it sounds like you're saying well done for, you know, kind of being a little bit sneaky and getting someone sent off. But you could see what he's trying to do and the fact that it just plays into it plays into his hands. What Nunes is pulling off is a bit, yeah, it's, it's left him with a bit of egg on his face. Wound him up, didn't it? Yeah. Did, mm. uh, did you send any death threats to Anderson, Joel? Uh, absolutely not. If I was going to send death threats, I might have gone to Darwin on Monday. But no, <laughs> let's not joke about death threats to football. Yeah, don't send death threats to anybody, please. Yeah, not even us. Not even us. Especially, especially not us. Yeah, got I'm enough on our plate as it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's Manchester United away on Monday, Joel. I mean, you must have been licking your lips on Saturday thinking about that fixture. Are you are you licking your lips a bit less now? 
I wasn't looking at my lips anyway, uh, Dan. <laughs> um, when it comes to playing Manchester United and Everton, it's, it's just kind of kind of thing when you just got to get through the week and got to get through the game, and, and you can't really plan anything social or, or any kind of life admin activity on the <laughs> Monday or the Tuesday until you get through the game. And no, but I mean, obviously, as we all know, Manchester United had a terrible start to the season and, and the butt of every joke at the moment. But the, the thing is, even though it's not a derby, it kind of feels like a derby and always does where, you know, their their performance should improve 10% and the sort of the fact that they, they probably should work harder and, and that sort of levels things. I mean, I mean, I'm speaking about them like, like they are Everson uh, at the moment. <laughs> and I, I mean, I guess, I guess they are in, in a way, but the, the thing is, I, I don't think Man United's players will get away with being able to put in the type of performances they put in, in the last two games against Liverpool that the fans won't let them. And I, I do think eventually, you know, if we're talking about sort of a prediction or something, Liverpool, maybe do end up winning because they do have the superior quality and should find a way. But the way that Liverpool start the season um, isn't great either, uh, as we've as we mentioned. And, and and suddenly it's a game that, you know, never look forward to anyway, but suddenly it feels <laughs> if Liverpool lose that and uh, who becomes the butt of the jokes and who becomes the real crisis. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I, I think there will be a fan eventually. It's just that, yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. Let's just get through it. <laughs> It might be my favourite fixture of the season, actually, Liverpool v United, because it's kind of win-win for me, whatever happens. Like, you know, I'll, uh, I'll come and watch that one at the pub with you on Monday, Joel, and uh, watch you. You're not invited. To melt that well, I'm coming anyway. I know, I know where you're going. I'm just going to turn up. <laughs> I don't need your invite. <laughs> what do you make of uh, Crystal Palace's start to the season, Matt? I mean, I, I, I know people were saying that they did very well last season. I thought they were a little bit overrated, personally. Um, I think if you look at the numbers, they didn't do particularly well at all, really. But they've, they've started the season with, with uh, a defeat and a draw to Arsenal-Liverpool, two tough opponents. I thought they've, I think they've acquitted themselves fairly well, would you say? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Again, like I said, with the Liverpool results, about two, the first two games of the season look a little bit out of context. It's the same sort of thing with Crystal Palace. Um, they have got one point out of possible six, which is great, but they have played two of the better teams. Um, I wonder I wonder if we'd be saying this, I don't know. I, I, I guess one of the one of the problems that I have with Crystal Palace, like you said, they were maybe not as good as people suggested last season, is that there's often too much patchy form that goes along with it. Um, and when you're praising these performances, you can say, you know, they ran two big teams close. But I think in the coming games, I don't know who's lesser opposition, but you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe teams around mid-table or the lower point of the table if they also weren't to win those these two games wouldn't look as good yeah do you know what i mean like if if palace were winning and then suddenly they came up against liverpool and arsenal when they only picked up one point you'd say ah, tough like palace but whether or not these are actually going to be good results or good performances depends because if they go and lose the next few they're also going to be in a bit of a sticky situation um where yet again we're we're, we're praising patrick vieira and i think he's doing a good job and they've got some fantastic players but they're still in this position where they're just not stringing enough consistency together. So I think it can be a little bit out of context. From what I've seen, though, I was particularly impressed with them at Anfield, especially um, Ebreche Ezzi. Yes. The guy yeah. is phenomenal. The, wor- the word is glides. He <laughs> just glides. There was one bit where he turned Trent, and Trent didn't even get near him. He was like, I'm not even going to try. It was one of those where, it, 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 I don't know, he was just sort of, he was quite unique in the way that an outball especially when you're playing away from home, an out ball tends to be to a big man mm. who kind of 
holds it up is a bit physical, lays the ball off to supporting players. But it wasn't really that with Eze. He was the out ball that could then take it on himself. And I think the goal was the perfect example, taking a long ball out the air, beating a man, driving forward, playing the assist. Uh, yeah, he was unbelievable. And I think if they if they continue to build around strong performances from him, they'll be good. But like I said, it, if they go and lose to some lower lower table opposition, it would just be two games in a bad run of form. Yeah, it's Aston Villa at home for them at the weekend. So we'll, we'll see what they're made of then, I guess. Is it? Yeah, so if they lose that, it looks a bit embarrassing, right? One point from three, and you're not talking about the first two as good performances anymore. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Anyway, moving on now, and uh, let's have a little talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, who nobody seems to want to buy him. He's desperate to get out of Man United by the sounds of things. He's having an awful time of it there. You know, there was a report in The Athletic this week that he eats lunch by himself now. The players are sick of him. Ten Hag's sick of him. He's sick of being there. It's all very messy. I mean... Joel, how, how has a great player like him become so kind of unloved and unwanted, do you think? It's it's a little bizarre, isn't it? Um, I, 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 I did find it a bit strange that he, he went back to Manchester United in the first place, not necessarily from his point of view, but from, from Manchester United's point of view, because at the time, you know, if you remember back to last season, I think there was a bit of positivity uh, surrounding Manchester United and, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the coach at the time, because they finished second going into last uh, into last season, and they kind of built a sort of fluid attacking uh, uh, front line in terms of you know you know Rashi was doing all right, Cavani would, would come in and contribute, and they were adding uh, Jaden Sancho to it, and, and Martial was contributing as well at the time, and and, and doing little bits and bobs, and and you know you could, you could sort of see. It's funny to say this now, but you can sort of see there's there a plan going forward for United and um, and Sancho adding to that sort of raised sort of um, expectations. But then suddenly the, the, the Ronaldo thing becomes the thing where uh, you know there's links about going to Manchester City and United um, can't can't take that and and they throw Ronaldo in and and that changes the picture about United completely straight away because suddenly you've got a um, Solskjaer had to plan everything around uh, Ronaldo, the whole attacking going forward, the, the whole plan of getting the ball to Ronaldo and, and, and getting the ball into the box for him to to stick away. And I I, I kind of wonder whether the Ronaldo uh, transfer to United has, has ruined them, you know, ruined Solskjaer and, and and sort of taken a team that was maybe maybe in a way going somewhere without any sort of sense of structure going on behind the scenes as, as we know now, but maybe it, it sort of, they, they wouldn't have fallen off a cliff as much as they have. And mm. it's, it seems to be a transfer that hasn't worked for, for both parties, obviously. And it is easy to say that now, but it, it looks that way. And I, I do find it a bit bizarre that he's become so unloved and unwanted because you, you're wondering whether it's just maybe his, maybe his expectations of, of, of the players around him. Uh, and I, I, you know, heard stories last season about how he stopped them from eating dessert and that, and, and they were loving all that. But suddenly now they don't. That's like why he's eating on his own at lunch now because they want to desserts. But <laughs> obviously, can't stand the tiramisu they cook in the old chap's canteen. You know what I mean? But uh, it's I, I do wonder whether is is the problem Ronaldo or is the problem maybe the, the players that United have at the moment, or the, the majority that have sort of maybe sort of cast them to one side in a way don't like being called out. Um, obviously, we I'm asking questions here. We don't know, you know, maybe pointlessly, because we won't know the answers to these until you know maybe further down the line when Scott McTominay releases a book or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's I, I I do wonder whether there's just a sort of the United players attitude. Just uh, the majority should I say doesn't match up to what Ronaldo expects, and and it's become sort of a, a um, 
a sort of divorce uh, of relationships from there? Yeah, I guess we'll never know whether they would have been better off without signing him last season. But the fact of the matter is they had the worst ever Premier League season with him in the team. They've started this one very badly. So, I mean, I've been saying for a couple of weeks that I think they, they really need to get rid of him. It's just a case of who is going to sign him at this point. There was some talk on Twitter today that Dortmund might be interested in him or George no Mendes is trying to take him to Dortmund. He just does not feel like a Dortmund player to me at all. Like um, Atletico Madrid has been sort of talked about this summer, but I don't think their fans want to sign him. It's just, you know, considering what an incredible player he's been, do you think this kind of harms his legacy a little bit, Matt? This this kind of bitter end to his career that we're, we're looking at now? Uh, yeah, it could do. I feel a bit sad for him. You kind of described it like a Lonely Hearts ad. Like, <laughs> hi, I'm Cristiano and I eat lunch by myself. <laughs> like, you, you really made him sound a, a bit sad, yeah. Um, it, it might potentially harm his legacy. Uh, it depends which which uh, which tinted glasses you've got on. I do have to say just quickly about before, though, about the players around him at United. They're also pretty rubbish. <laughs> Like, if this was a striker, right, if this was another striker who had failed to score goals because the rest of the team just could not, for the life of them, work the ball out from the back and create some chances, then you would there wouldn't really be this hoo-ha. It'd be, you know, that, that he's not getting much service, this, that and the other. And I think in such a poor United team for him to score, what was it, 18 goals last season, isn't actually that terrible. Because you imagine if you put him in a good team, you know, one that could survive a pass mm. from the goalkeeper to a centre-back you know, without losing the ball. Like, he might actually be better off. But anyway, um, in terms of harming his legacy, I mean, you've got all the all the successes in his career to, to look back at and to point at. You can't really, you can't doubt his legacy. But yeah, pe- people are obviously very uh, what's the, short-minded. What's the word? Short memories, that's it. Short memory, yeah. I've yeah. um, <laughs> got short memories. And if this is to be his last club at the top or his last sort of memorable season, it would be a bit of a sad way to go. Personally, I think he'll stay. Um, and I think there'll be some reconciliation at Manchester United once they, who knows, once they maybe realise that they need to be in this together. I think things change after the transfer window shuts and they realise no new players are going to be coming in and they realise that Ten Hag's there you know, for the foreseeable future. There will be some sort of middle ground met, yeah. I do believe. Yeah, um, it's interesting yeah, it's, this it's week one. people have been sort of, you know, we've been talking about Manchester United being shit for, Years now, haven't we? Basically, sort of, you sort of run out of things to say about it at this point. Mm. And you know, the Glazers are obviously the overarching blame for all of it, but people are blaming managers. Your know, managers have come and gone, a new manager's come in who ostensibly is a good manager, and people are like, "Well, he's only just got here. We can't blame him. Do we, who do we blame now?" And it seems like the backlash has fully turned on the players in the past couple of weeks, and people mm. are really pointing the fingers at them, which is you know fair enough. And I don't think you know someone like Jaden Sancho can blame Cristiano Ronaldo for his lack of form anymore. It's like you've just not performed since you came for yeah, exactly you know, nearly eighty million last summer. It can't all be down to Ronaldo, can it? It's- maybe there's maybe there is that sort of question that they're just, and I think it's probably a, a very realistic answer the united players just aren't up to ronaldo's level now whether they necessarily need to be because if all of them were like ronaldo it'd be a really bizarre squad dynamic um firstly they need a lot of lunch tables for them all to eat lunch by themselves but but you know what i mean i can imagine the atmosphere and the level of i don't want to say professionalism because i'm not saying united players aren't professional but the level of expectation and demand yeah. on each player during that successful real madrid side would have been insane you could have gone through the whole squad and you probably found out they were just as intense and mentally strong and capable as cristiano ronaldo and he was probably with 
other people of his kind. Whereas now you've got other players who maybe aren't up to that level. Um, and it just sort of, everything feels a little bit off. I don't know. I'm trying to think of whether or not Cristiano Ronaldo can look around the team and be like, yeah, you know what? Luke Shaw's got the same experience I do. He'll help me get out of this trouble. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, that that James Garner lad, he's gonna he's gonna help me. I saw that season at Forest on <laughs> like yeah. I mean, I, these guys I, are no way near his legacy, so it'd be difficult to match him. No, but saying that, I, I do think they consider could. It's fair to say he could consider more of a problem for Man United overall than than a help at this moment in time. If, if you remember, just just back a few weeks ago, all the noise coming out in pre season when Ten Hag took over, and obviously you have to take pre season with the the thinnest pinch of salt possible. But um, mm. all the noise was about how disciplined they they've become and and how the sort of dressing room atmosphere was really good and uh, and and the football they were playing in pre season again. That don't, can't take too much notice, but you could see the attacking from three of Rashford, Sancho, and Martial was interchanging. It was very fluid, and it, it was you know it looked like there's uh, those those realms of potential up there, and and suddenly this all sort of changed. And you know, what was the what was the fact on that? And, oh, was it the return of Ronaldo to to the training ground and, and back? Yeah, it could the be scene right. It could be right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a possibility that, that that you know. I agree with you, Matt. I think they're going to be stuck with him. I think he's uh, because no one's going to end up signing him, um, and and I think suddenly you know Ten Hag is going to have to after suddenly building all preseason around not having Ronaldo and and having a fluid front three, he's going to have to base his whole football around getting the ball to Ronaldo's feet and head and getting him scoring goals. And you know what? He will score goals this season <laughs> for them. He Just... will probably score, you know take them out of the, the the shit at times. But I think Ten Hag and Manchester United won't be able to move forward properly and, and we'll see what a Ten Hag United looks like until Ronaldo is out the door. Does he have to play him if he stays? Can he be a squad player? Can he be a, a super sub or something? Like I know Ronaldo would hate that and probably kick up a fuss and be a horrible person to have around the place, but if it's not working on the pitch, just don't play him. But who do they have instead? Anthony Marshall. Yeah, I mean <laughs> No, I mean they're trying well they're trying yeah. to sign someone, aren't they? As well, 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 yeah, they've got, they've got. Well, I mean, I was going to say they've been linked with a few players, but yeah, yeah, they've been linked with absolutely everybody. It depends who comes in. That that kind of just a little bit puts Ten Hag in a tough position because you don't want to be the guy who loses matches or you know sees United finish. I don't know out of the top six whilst having Cristiano Ronaldo on the bench. Yeah. You look like an idiot. <laughs> Whereas if you play him and they also mess up you'd be like, what are you playing him for? You know yeah. what I mean? It's a bit of a, a, a catch-22. that There's nothing really you can do with Ronaldo. Um, but yeah, I, I still think he'll stay. And you're right. If if United suddenly learn to play some brilliant football, you know, they control possession, they build up from the back, they get a new midfielder in this, that and the other, and they're finding Cristiano Ronaldo in the box on a regular basis. There's no reason why he can't score 20 in the Premier League and then be a half-decent team. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was saying the other day on Instagram that he's going to speak out against the lies reported about him in uh, in two weeks. And coincidentally, oh. the transfer window closes two weeks today. So I wonder if that's got anything to do with uh, that little time frame that he put on it. Maybe, uh, maybe he knows. Maybe he knows his future. Maybe he does, yeah. I'd, I'd like it to be like a really 21st century thing that instead of coming out and speaking to the media, he does like a like a Twitch stream. Yeah. It just takes comments or, from people. Or like goes us. on Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
After what happened last summer, I would quite love City to go, yeah, we'll buy you, and just string him along until like midnight on deadline day and go, nah, actually, sorry, changed that. You're mind. a cruel man, Dan. Yeah, well, he deserves it. <laughs> yeah, speaking of the transfer window closing, two weeks to go. Uh, United have got a lot of irons in the fire by the sounds of things. Uh, Matthias Cunha is one that has uh, emerged in the past couple of days. I don't know if that's on or off. There's a bit of conflicting reports about that. Would that be a good sign if they can get that one done, Joel, from Atletico Madrid? Out of all the players I've seen him linked with, that that one look one that looked the most sense to me in terms of uh, I can see him. I think they need a vocal point up front, and I, and I think they you know if I look at the lads from Stuttgart and uh, and obviously you saw the links of Marco Arnautovic, um, Cunha would be a sort of different sort of vocal points where you know you know you know sort of got a you know tall let's say let's limit to target man type of striker to 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 bounce off. You sort of got someone who's maybe a bit. No one near the quality, but sort of linked to Roberto Firmino in terms of can knit the front three all together, knit the attacking line all together, and and I thought that one might be interesting. Um, we sort of did very well at Hertha, um, and then his, his move to Atletico hasn't quite paid off. And I, I do wonder where it's down to has he been, you know, is his quality maybe not suited to the top level, or is that more down to Diego Simeone maybe not being able to get the most out of him? We'll have to see. But that that one was I thought was oh okay, that looks like it makes more sense, and obviously. So we're going to talk about a lot of the rest of them now, and <laughs> it made more sense to, than the, the rest of the uh, the bums they've been linked with. <laughs> well, Asmir Begovic, I mean, I don't want to call the guy a bum, but uh, I mean, that's a, 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 a one that's come out today, which I know they need a, a replacement for Lee Grant, who left, but are they not just better off just signing a proper goalkeeper at this point? You know, we, we, we talked about the Gea on the podcast the other day. He's just not good enough anymore, is he? Like, if the money is there to spend on a proper goalkeeper, get someone good and just relegate De Gea to the bench and have... Uh, who's the third choice goalkeeper? That guy uh, was at Villa, Tom Heaton. Uh, Tom yeah. Heaton. Tom Heaton, yeah. That's a very odd one. It seems like they're going to have three backup keepers as their first, <laughs> second and third choice. Yeah. I don't know. I, to be honest... Who are they going to get at this point? That that's the problem. That when you're a club as big as Manchester United, you can't make any moves like discreetly. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't be like, "Oh, we need a goalkeeper." Who have you got? Everyone will be like, "Oh, yeah, I know you got you got you guys are the desperate ones who can't yeah. you know who can't can't sign anybody for shit." We'll we'll take a hundred million for whoever it is. I don't know Fraser Forster. Yeah, you know, I, I just don't think they're going to be able to find any good value at this point for any position. So. Um, yeah, especially in the transfer market where Morgan Gibbs White costs forty four million. Um what hope have they got? Do you know who I'd go for if I was United as a goalkeeper? Kilo Navas. Oh yeah, that, actually that's a pretty but that's been linked in the past as well. Maybe just as a stopgap, like not a you know, a forever signing, but for for the rest of the season, like see how he does. Uh, not I think he's, I think he's Why bad. are you giving them advice? I thought you hated United. Well they're not listening, are they? Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> And if they are, and if they are taking advice from me, then the, the problems are much deeper than we thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they've been linked with Christian Pulisic alone from Chelsea. Uh, I must admit, I laughed at that one when I saw it emerge yesterday. But the more I think about it, the more I think, you know, he came to England with great potential from Dortmund. You know, he's he's done very well at international level. Hasn't quite worked out for him at Chelsea. Could you see that one working out at United if he went there, Joel? I... I just wonder why he's not gone to the team at Chelsea because a lot of their issues has been around their attack and their front line and, and being able to sort of Thomas Tuchel try and find a sort of uh, consistent lineup and, and Pulisic just hasn't really managed to to break in consistently even, even when he has been fit and there, there are injury issues. Um, 
that you know that he has had. But he's a talent. He obviously, he is a talented footballer. You know, his dribbling is uh, immense, and I could see. I could, you know, I could see he is maybe doing all right at Manchester United. I just don't, I don't really see what the plan is there about about signing him. You know, obviously the issues we talk about Manchester United in the past has been over there. You know, having a structure of their recruitment, having a plan about going forward, and you know, the reason we're sort of talking about them is that they've, they've been throwing loads of names out at the moment, and, and you're looking at all of them and and thinking, well. Does Ten Hag has had has he had any say in these players? Okay, maybe he hasn't. That's that's okay. A lot of football clubs don't really have the, the head coach decide who signs and now, but who is making the decisions and and the, the person who is making the decisions at Manchester United, um, sort of why are they going after these players? You know, is it because? They're available. Um, Christian Pulis has <laughs> been linked to a move away all summer because Chelsea sort of, you know, don't need him anymore or, or don't see a, a way forward for him. And maybe they're thinking, okay, he can go out on loan. Uh, is United just looking at that as the guy at United or the person at United who's making these decisions just seen that and gone, ah, Pulisic was a, you know, was a bit of a sex name a couple of years ago. Um, you know, let's get him because he's available. It, you know, he'll sell he some shirts in the US for us as well. And. I guess you, yeah. I guess you have to look at that as well. I mean, maybe that's a you know a cynical way to to look at it. But I, I agree with that completely. Um, that possibly it is that, and 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 you know, sadly for Manchester United listening to this, and 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 happily for for myself and Dan. It it doesn't look like they have found a, a plan with their recruitment going forward yet. It, it does look like they're, they're throwing off shit at the wall and hoping something sticks, which has been the plan for maybe since even Ferguson left. Yep, indeed. And uh, there was some talk about Adrian Rabio that's now fallen through. Apparently, uh, his mum uh, was demanding too much money. United have pulled out. I think that's probably a blessing in disguise, right, Matt? Yeah, it sounds like it. Given the the stories that have come out, certainly under um, uh, PSG when he was sent to the reserves, and then at Juventus, things haven't really worked well, both on and off the pitch. That's probably the last thing they need is someone with a bit more baggage as well um, mm. surrounding anything but the football. So yeah. <laughs> Blessing in yeah, so that's why they've turned to Casemiro, who has no baggage. Uh, well, maybe he yeah, doesn't have baggage, not. but uh, you know, he's a he's a bit of a nasty bastard on the pitch. Isn't he? Maybe maybe that's exactly what they need. Um, I guess I, the question with him is, what would he go there? Why would he go there? I, I was just talking to Ali in, in the Spanish newsroom here, and he said uh, he said that sixty to eighty million or whatever was quoted is actually not a bad fee for Real Madrid. Oh, to it's take. incredible fee, yeah. Yeah, for for someone who's thirty years old, look, I guess he's won absolutely everything, and maybe he fancies something different. But I don't know. I can't see a reason to leave in Real Madrid's, you know, in their pomp. This squad, uh, the 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 one who obviously went through winning so many Champions League at Real Madrid, the likes of Modric, Kroos, Casemiro. You obviously had Ramos and Varane leave last summer. Benzema as well. Like the opportunity's obviously been there to leave. Um, over the last few years, if you're using the excuse of he's won it all at Real Madrid already. Yeah. Uh, so why sort of panic at a late move to Manchester United late on in the window? If he really wanted to leave Real Madrid, I'm sure that with the respect and what he's done at the club, they would have a long-term move planned out. It doesn't. It seems a bit unnecessary for him to just kind of jump ship and be like, oh, oh, I never thought about the Premier League. Yeah, screw it. Why not? You know, in the space of about two hours. Yeah. Um, I, I can't see him I can't see him going there. And as with so many players nowadays, Champions League football is an absolute must. Like, you're, you know, to go from the Champions League winners to a team who look very unlikely to make the top four before the season started, never mind after losing the two, the first two, it just doesn't really make much sense. I mean, money, so what? They're going to, 
double his wage or whatever. He's probably on about 200 grand a week now <laughs> at Real Madrid. Yeah, it can't mean that much to players when, yeah, when you're talking uh, those figures, can it really? Yeah. For footballing reasons, I can't see it. Swapping Madrid for Manchester, maybe it's an acquired taste, um, <laughs> but I can't see too many players doing it. So yeah, no, I. this might be a lot of hot air, who knows. Do you think Man United still have that pull at the moment, you know, to go, well, it's Manchester United? Yeah, that's the annoying thing. They still seem to have it. Yeah, I, re- I remember I a few years ago where they brought Pogba back. I was like, they're not in Champions League. How have they done this? But <laughs> the, the other two years ago when they got Jane Sancho, I think every club in Europe would have wanted Jane Sancho to yeah. join them. But I'm not necessarily sure they do anymore because <laughs> they, they agreed a fee with, Frank, with Barcelona for Frankie de Jong two months ago. And yeah. obviously it's a bit more, there's a few more caveats to why Frankie de Jong can't leave Barcelona. But if he really wanted to join Manchester United... He would have joined by now. He, he knows he doesn't want to go there. And I think a lot of players may be in that position. I, I don't think they do have that pull anymore. Uh, I think, of, you know, I don't want to sort of accuse Casemiro of anything, but if he does end up going to Manchester United, I think he's also maybe seen that as, you know, a really good, maybe one final payday and a chance to experience the Premier League and, and sort of milk it for as much as he can. I, I would not blame him if that was the case. And, Obviously, we don't know that for sure, but I think a lot of players, if they're looking at Manchester United now, they're seeing them more as a, a cash cow than somewhere to favour their careers. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it's a really sad position for us all to be in. <laughs> well, they might make a light bid for Morgan Gibbs White, uh, who is apparently joining Nottingham Forest for £44.5 million. Pounds. Uh, 22 years old, oh you know, got God. potential, but are we at the point where the game is officially gone? Is this it? That That is it. That's it for me. <laughs> And nothing against the bloke, and I think he's a half decent player, but forty four point five million. That's that's not even like we're talking about um, uh, something that's kind of I don't know. You, oh, you'd never get a good player anyway for forty four million. Yeah, you would. <laughs> I think every Liverpool signing, bar Van Dijk and Allison, in the past five years has been for under that. City paid six million more for Erling Haaland to put it in, uh, in perspective. Yeah, like what? Who? I, I, I struggle to think who at Nottingham Forest has thought we've got 44.5 million or potentially more to spend in the transfer market. Who can we get? <laughs> yeah. Like which, which, I don't know, which filters have they put in on this scouting <laughs> website, right? Where it said, you've got 44 million. Our best search result is Morgan Gibbs White. Like, how has that <laughs> happened? What are they looking for? And, and, and why is it costing that much? It says it says a lot when they're getting Husamawa, who's, a better player and a far more experienced player, you know, for however much less, 20 million or something, 15. That old English tax is working. It's magic again, isn't it? I never used to believe in it. I (laughs) I was like, nah, there's no such thing as English tax. And now I'm thinking there most definitely is. By the way, he could go on to be a very good Premier League midfielder. I'm not saying he won't. Mm. But when you're looking at that sort of money, like I'd be expecting the next Lampard or something. Yeah, the next Deli Alley. Who is a uh, early Delia? <laughs> well, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about him now because that's a, an interesting transfer topic that's come out this week. He's uh, he's off to Besiktas, apparently. I mean, Matt, you will have seen the demise of Deli Ali with a front row seat, I guess, uh, as a Spurs fan. What has happened to him? Because I watched him play for Everton this season a couple of times in last season, and it's quite sad to watch him now. Actually, it is. Mm. It is. You know what? And it, when it when it first started happening, I mean, look, there was there was a lot of. Um, I guess sadness is the word after the Champions League de- final defeat for Spurs 2019. Obviously, a few months later, Pochettino was sacked. It all seemed to come falling down around then. 
And at the time, I was like, oh, pull your finger out, Delhi. Like, come on, we need some performances here. We, you know, you're supposed to be one of the Tottenham's best players. You're worth, you know, X amount of millions. And it is quite sad now. And I guess without knowing him personally or really knowing too many of his inside life stories, maybe there's a lack of interest or love for the game yeah, left. It's like the lights go um, out in his eyes, isn't it, really? It's, yeah, uh, it, it really has. And I, I always point to David Bentley, who who um, who retired, I think, at age 29, he saw the end of his career at Spurs. He went on loan, I believe, to somewhere in Russia. Um, and and has spoken a lot about it since coming out after football. There aren't too many who do it. And he said the love was gone. He hated the training every day. He hated the bubble. You know, he hated the traveling, all sorts of stuff. And as as far as I know, David Bentley lives in Spain and has a quite nice life. <laughs> so yeah, may, maybe it's just gone down the same way. I think when it comes to what is actually Ali's problem i guess without making it sound like we're accusing him of having issues there's a lot that football fans put onto footballers i think mm. you know you're a footballer you're paid this much now go out there and make me happy every saturday uh there's there's just so much more that could go on behind it and i think to to try and sort of sum up quite easily what's going on with delhi would be would be very very difficult the move to besiktas for me doesn't necessarily suggest I need game time to get into the World Cup squad. <laughs> um, he would probably get less game time at Everton. So yes, he would get more, more games at Besiktas. But if you really wanted to stay for some reason, I don't know, a late burst into Southgate's plans, you'd you'd do what Jesse Lingard does. Mm. You'd go to a lower league team who, where you're guaranteed to play as many minutes as possible to get your form ahead of ahead of squad selection in whenever it is, end of October, beginning of November, I think when the squad's announced, you'd do that. You wouldn't go to the other end of the continent. Uh, you know, I, I doubt Southgate's going to many Besiktas games, no disrespect <laughs> to the Turkish league, but he's probably going to more Premier League games. So if if England was in Ali's eyeline, a late return, he probably would have stayed in the Premier League. So this one I can see maybe to get away from it all, maybe, you know, he needs a bit of a change of scenery. I don't know, he's, he's in a a bad crowd of, of, you know, for example. I mean, people do that a lot. They don't have to be footballers to mm. start anew. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's what he's doing. But it's just, it is a bit sad, to be honest. At the beginning, I'll admit, I was not his biggest fan. I was like, you're just being lazy. <laughs> but after a while, yeah, you kind of see it obviously runs a bit deeper than that. Yeah, I mean, this probably is a bit dis- disrespectful to the Turkish league. I don't really mean it to be, but I, I always feel a bit sad when players go there. It's sort of an acceptance that it's over, isn't it? That you've kind yeah. of... Like uh, Dries Mertens went to Fenerbahce, was it recently? And I was just a bit like, you could do better than that, Dries. You're a good player. But uh, yeah, with Ali, the, the, it just seems like the sort of retirement home, really, doesn't it? Uh, he actually went to Galatasaray. Not Galatasaray. That, I'm oh, now now comes the abuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I think it, 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 we're probably going off on a, a, a different direction here. But the Turkish Football League does it to itself. You know, by handing out these big bumper contracts for one or two years to extortionate money to players like Dries Mertens, to players like Deli Ali, they're sort of accepting their role as a retirement home. They're accepting their role as a cash cow of, we don't care if these players just want to abuse us for one or two years. We get to have these names in our league. Because, um, yeah, otherwise, the, you know, these clubs wouldn't let themselves get mugged off for... Uh, you know, for Deli Ali, like which other club would pay all of his wages after watching his performance? No one yeah. would. So I think there's probably a bit of the Turkish league understanding or knowing their role in the football ecosystem potentially. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
Good luck to him, I guess. Let's uh, hope yeah, he, exactly. he ends up having, having, yeah. Yeah, having a lovely time over there, like Colin Kazim Richards and getting a new Turkish eyes name and all that sort of stuff. That would, uh, oh, mind you, it's Turkey now, isn't it? It's called, it's not called Turkey anymore. So we're being very disrespectful yeah. to Turkey here. Deepest apologies. God. Dan, well, you're making all sorts of enemies today. I really am, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to something else before I get in uh, any more death threats coming my way. <laughs> we were talking a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about PSG and how there's uh, there seems to be a lovely sense of harmony for them this season compared to last year. Everything seems nice and settled, uh, but there seems to be a bit of trouble in paradise now. Uh, there was an incident in the weekend. Uh, they are top of the uh, league and table already, as you'd expect, but uh, Mbappe missed a penalty in the 5-2 win over at Montpellier. Uh, then he wanted to take the second penalty that they got, a bit of a strop when Neymar wouldn't let him take it. Uh, more extraordinary than that, he—I uh, don't know if you saw this clip—he stopped running during a counter attack when he realised mm. Vitinha wasn't going to pass the ball to yeah, him. That was just a bit crazy. Just threw his hands up and just started walking. Uh, there was a report yesterday from TNT Sports Brazil's Marcelo Bechler, who is uh, pretty well connected, I believe, uh, said that Mbappe basically stayed with PSG this summer on the proviso that the team would be his and he wouldn't have to do much when the team don't have possession and he thinks the other players <sighs> should serve him. I mean, this is very. It's very dangerously egotistical for a 23-year-old, is it not, Joel? If true. Yeah, it reminds me of um, when I was playing Sunday League as a kid, <laughs> yeah, from like, sort of like 11, 12, 13, something around that age. I, I played for a team who, uh, who the manager, he had a son who played up front, and I definitely can't name him because he's kind of come a little yeah, bit. Yeah, name names, do it, Joel. <laughs> Drop him. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> but he was the, the the kid was a bit like that in terms of the team had to be you know serve him, and he would not track back, and um and every time he didn't pass him, and you know in a view in a, in a better position, he would uh, he would kick up a huff and. I mean, fair play. I'm sure he's a nice lad now, but you know, fair play. That's a you know, twelve year old, thirteen year old doing that. You don't expect to see a twenty three year old professional footballer sort of reignite, reenact the same sorts of reactions. It's um, it's really weird to see, and, and it, it is dangerous. It's you know, obviously, we'll talk about how dangerous maybe it is for Mbappe in a minute, maybe, but it's also dangerous. I actually think for Chris, for Christophe. Um, for Gaultier, Christoph Gaultier, you know, John Paul's lad, um, he sort of, <laughs> sort of, um, well the start of the season, sort of going into the season, PSG, it's sort of, I, I think they have learned how to spend their money properly, let's say, because they made some, you know, very interesting and, and I think clever signings in terms of uh, Nordi Mukiele from RB, uh, RB Leipzig and um, you know, Virginia for yourself, you mentioned there. Yeah, all sort of clever signs that have done well. Uh, some of the French league, the Portuguese league, they're not confident sort of blockbuster names like you know like they did last summer and, and have done before now. Um, and it's it, you know it's sort of say like, okay maybe they're sort of playing to what Gosi wants to do. And I think you know and like you just literally just said there the harmony going into the season all seemed really well as well. But it threatens that now because you know if, if Mbappe is reacting like this, you know. Well, how do you deal with that? You know, yeah. How how can you even sort of comprehend that? And and you've also got up there, you know, you know Lionel Messi and Neymar, who, you know, fair play to them. They, they've got egos as big as that as well, but you can't really blame them because of the talent they have. I mean, how his is bigger, apparently, but by the sounds of things, his is even bigger than theirs, which is really worrying, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. How, how what, what are you meant to do? <laughs> I, yeah. I feel really sorry for Colty. I mean, you do wonder whether. They've just promised him the earth in the summer and just say, please stay, we'll give you whatever you want. Like you can be whatever you want. And he's kind of like, well, you said I could be whatever I want. And and now you're not passing the ball to me. How dare you? Like, I'll just go to Real Madrid if, 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 you, if that's how it's going to be, you know. It might be a bit of a like, 
long not long comparison uh sort of side sideways thought here but i think this is where um manchester city in comparison have got things spot on with mm. their if you're not happy you can leave yeah because there's really there's so many players who could have got big headed at manchester city who could have been very egotistical when they've managed to build an unbelievable squad of players who don't really do that and i just just as a quick side note, I would yeah. just say it, it, it does seem to work really well. Even, you know, Bernardo Silva came out said the other day, he said, the club always say to us, like, if you're not happy, then fine, tell us. Yeah, bring, us, bring, us, bring us a good offer and we'll sell you if it's good enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's probably a smarter way for, for Team Harmony because it does seem like at PSG, yeah, it's like we're going to build a team not of superstars. We're just going to build a team of everybody working as a functional unit to serve Mbappe and then he'll score the goals and then we'll win everything. And I guess they had to do something different because their previous buying superstars wasn't also working in the mm. Champions League either. But maybe this wasn't, I don't know, maybe this wasn't the smartest thing to do. Yeah. This sounds like when you've completely given up on FIFA and you just go, you know what, have all the money in the world. <laughs> just, to, just to see what happens. Just to see what happens. And obviously, it's I don't know whether it's gone to his head. I just don't know. Maybe there's a lack of planning in Mbappe's mind. But what's he expecting to happen from here? At 23 years old, you know, let's say realistically at least 10 to 12 years at the top left. I mean, if this is it, if this is the most money ever and the most power he's ever going to have, it's only downhill it's only from downhill, here. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's, he's going to get pissed off in like four years' time when he's a bit part player alongside another <laughs> big player at PSG. Like, I don't, I don't understand where he expects to go from here. What next? They're going to call it the Kylian Mbappe Arena, or <laughs> like, there's there's only so much that, make him the that manager, a team can offer him. Yeah, player manager, yeah, make him make him yeah. manager, president of France. <laughs> like, I, I don't I don't know how. I don't know what room there is left to grow for his ego or for what they can offer him. So it does scarily look downhill from here. If it's downhill from here for Ronaldo, he could call it quits on a good career and he's 38 years old. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. He's 15 years younger. Yeah. So it it begs a big question. Indeed, He's going to end up doing a Michael Jordan and going into a different sport or something, isn't he? If he's, uh, uh, oh, okay. That's up, it. Yeah. <laughs> that that is it honestly a jordan crossover with psg he goes on loan to the wizards the yeah. NBA for like a year <laughs> comes back wearing the 45 just, there we go if you're listening killian and i'm sure you are then uh we've, we've got it all mapped out for you you mate. could get a shoe deal killian think about it right? <laughs> just listen to what we're saying <laughs> one more topic today before we uh we move on to our listener question is about the bundesliga uh, obviously Bayern munich have, have made the the start to the season that they always do looking pretty imperious looking like they're going to win the what is it 11th in a row 11th title 11, in a row yeah. they're on for yeah, this year yeah, yeah. Uh, there's some talk. I mean, I read an article about this yesterday, and I'm coming around to the idea actually about an end of season playoff. Do you think, Joel, in that league in particular, that it actually might make sense? That it actually might make things a little bit interesting. I mean, my objection to it has always been like the team that finishes top of the league is the best team in the league. Surely that's it's as simple as that. Obviously, American sports and rugby and things like that do it a little bit differently. Never really got on board with it. But, you know, if Bayern are going to win the league every year anyway, then is it not better to just have a little bit of an end of season fun? No, I, I mean, I think that the things that need to be done to make the Bundesliga a bit more competitive, but I, I don't think that's a, a fair one to do because I think it's unfair on, on Bayern Munich. And um, I think sympathy probably will be in short shrift for Bayern Munich, but I think with that, that would um, 
<laughs> that would be completely unfair, especially if they end up winning the league by you know ten points, twelve points, which they you know tend to do. And um, but, but, but no, in, in, in MLS, for example, they have the the supporter shield, which is the team that finishes top of the league wins, and then they have the MLS Cup. So both teams get a trophy. Some teams win two trophies if they if they win the MLS Cup as well. But then, what's the point of it? It's a trophy. Yeah. It feels like a postseason tournament, though. <laughs> I mean, I suppose yeah. you could argue they already have that with the with the DFB Pokal, don't they? So they already do have a cup competition. Yeah, yeah. true. I would say though, so very quickly. Imagine if, like, I don't know, Freiburg or Cologne managed to win the league by one point in an insane season, and then Bayern <laughs> just win the postseason yeah, one again. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, this is what we wanted to avoid. <laughs> so. I think it, it's kind of the Bundesliga, maybe not in the entire world, but in terms of sort of the big leagues in Europe, is the only one that really needs this. If it if it does need it, like the Premier League definitely doesn't need an end of season playoff, does it? Uh, you know, Spain doesn't, Liga doesn't, uh, Holland doesn't, Italy doesn't. I think all those leagues are just about competitive enough, but there has to be something for the Bundesliga to do to kind of break Bayern's dominance. I think. I mean, Michael Cox wrote an article in the in the Athletic yesterday. I don't know if you read this. That he said that uh, that Bayern should begin every game one nil down. Any thoughts on that? No, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> I'll end up making a mockery of the league. And, and, and the thing is, like, I, I will leap to the, the Bundesliga the Bundesliga's defense in the terms of. I think okay, it deserves the criticism in terms of the, you know how uh, lopsided it is for, and, and beneficial to Bayern Munich and. You know, on on the pitch, there, there are sort of things to, to sort out. The the thing is, though, in terms, in terms of fan culture and sort of um, fans feeling like they have a connection with their club, I think it's it's, it's the best place, best league in the world for that. And I think it has a great sense of community across across all the teams. And I think coming over to Germany from England. I've been to a fair few sort of Bundesliga stadiums and, and Bundesliga matches, and and even further down the fight of Bundesliga, you definitely feel more like a, a fan going to a game there than you do. I would say sometimes when I go to games in England, feel more mm. like a consumer and a customer. I do, I do sort of like the sort of community aspect and and the feeling like you belong to something when you go to a Bundesliga game. Okay, the quality on the pitch isn't comparable to to the Premier League. I. I, I I personally do enjoy it. I, I like the en- energetic, frantic end-to-end feeling that you do get in Bundesliga games. But obviously, the first touch of s- some players in in the Augsburg team isn't comparable to the first touch of some players, even the Brighton or Albion team. Um, you know, th- there is a quality difference. Bring it back to sort of how do you fix it? Um, the finances need to be looked at. Um, Bayern Munich do get sort of a, you know, a hefty sort of advantage compared to to everyone else. Even the second best team, or the second biggest team in Germany, in Borussia Dortmund. But even sort of, you know, maybe okay. Do you bring in a salary cap? Do you bring down a sort of, you know, or every team can only spend this amount, or you know, there's a limit on that kind of thing. Uh, maybe that needs to be looked at. But there's also a case of, I think, since Jurgen Klopp left Borussia Dortmund, they they've made. A raft and a, a lot of uh, bad decisions after bad decision, and uh, in terms of the managers they brought in, the sort of recruitment they've had. Okay, you know they've they got their right with Sancho in Haaland, but I think there are two sort of maybe outliers compared to, to everyone else. And Borussia Dortmund, obviously, you know you, you can feel sorry for them. You only have a certain amount of money to spend compared to Bayern Munich, but so they need to get nearly every decision right when it comes to. You know, players they bring in, but they've got a lot wrong, and and that gap is sadly is, is widened because of that. 
That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. The Bundesliga does have a lot going for it aside from a title race. I mean, it's not everything, is it really? And I think it does seem to be a thing where kind of outsiders dictate what the Bundesliga needs to do to fix this problem. Whereas a lot of Bundesliga fans, you know, German fans are a bit like, ah, we still like the league. Don't worry about it. So maybe we just all need to butt out and leave them alone. Let them go with it. (laughs) Yeah, the, the problem with is that if you start reducing the finances from Bayern from the top, then you weaken the whole league mm. um, because everyone will leave. <laughs> the sort of imagine, you know, the, the kind of the ease with which players join Bayern, whether it's Goretzka, whether it's Neuer, whether it's Lewandowski, whatever, they sign quite easily because they can offer money and Champions League football. They sign the best players in the rest of the league. But imagine taking it one step further where all of a sudden the best player, whether it's Lewandowski, instead of going to Bayern, he can only earn a certain amount of money because of their salary cap. So then he goes abroad. Then suddenly all the best players in the Bundesliga aren't even staying for Bayern Munich. They're going to the Premier League, which offers more money. Then the whole the whole German football system suffers. So I'm, I'm not sure... A, a, yeah, I'm not sure a salary cap would be the greatest idea, but... I think it kind of happens now, though. I think all, all the best players end up going to the Premier League anyway because of the money they can offer. And, you know, and Bayern Munich don't have a salary cap now, but they do have a strict salary structure, which means that usually they can't tend to buy the best players in the world. And obviously, it's weird saying that this summer because they've gone and bought Delict and, and Sadio Mane, but usually, you know... Ronaldo becomes available a couple of weeks ago, and, and the you know their owners, co- uh, sorry, the uh, chairman comes out straight away and goes, "There's no way we can afford afford them." Um, and nearly every other league may, may, maybe can afford you know, Ronaldo's wages, but Bayern Munich do strict to that. And so they're not under a salary cap now, but compared to let's say the Premier League, I, they, they are. Yeah, but but I mean, look, they still manage to you know draw the likes of Mane, like you said, pay stupid money for, was it, um, I always get them mixed up, Lucas or Theo Hernandez? Lucas. Uh, Theo. Lucas. Theo's at AC Milan. Yes. Yes, sorry, Lucas. <laughs> Lucas Hernandez, like 80 million. Uh, they managed to tempt Sane from Manchester City, you know, in his mid-20s, sort of the peak of his career. So I, I, I worry that if that would happen and they would kind of skip the Bayern Munich step because they can't get the money, obviously it's not happening now, but in a few years' time... Um, yeah, if there's a massive salary cap at Bayern, I I can see it working maybe not so in their favour. On the flip side, very quickly, not so much a conspiracy theory, but I'm pretty sure that Bayern can absolutely afford Cristiano Ronaldo's wages. <laughs> but to give off to give off the impression that they are absolutely swimming in it will then a other clubs in the Bundesliga will start charging more for their players, and b players will start. Um, asking for more money per week when they sign on free transfers. I think this whole illusion of them not having so much money plays into Bayern Munich's hands. Whereas when you look at their success and their worldwide fan base and this, that and the other, that there's no way they haven't got stupid amounts of money. It's just a smart <laughs> move to basically not let everybody know. Yeah, and they, they like the desserts at Bayern Munich as well. So uh, be careful what you wish for there. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and talking about your salary in Germany is a bit of a no-no as well. So I can't imagine they... Uh, you know. <laughs> I can't imagine they, they sort of go around going, we've got shitloads. <laughs> I can't imagine it. Indeed, yeah. Uh, let's finish today with a listener question. Riley Bird has been in touch to ask, with Gareth Bale recently choosing a move to Los Angeles over a move to Cardiff, if you could play for any club in the world based on location alone, who would you play for? I assume your answer would be Tramir Rovers, Joel? <laughs> Beck, that's got a lot going for it, hey, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I would go for Rome, I feel. Um, beautiful city. Uh, Italy does... 
it, you know, it was hands down number one in the world for food. Um, and I also like that sort of a, uh, the sort of feeling, the thing they got with the bar the other week where the, the Roma fans yeah. sort of uh, uh, welcomed me. And I, I quite like that kind of thing. I, I quite like to sort of load the dishwasher and come out of the kitchen and have that sort of reaction <laughs> waiting for me. Uh, I don't get why that doesn't happen now, to be honest. But yeah, I, I, I'd go for, for Rome. Fair, fair for those sort of reasons, the food and yeah, the beauty of it. Yeah, I was thinking something similar. Like I went to Florence over the summer, really enjoyed it. I was thinking Fiorentina would be a lovely club to play for, wouldn't it? And live in, live in Florence. I think for me as well, I went to uh, I went to Buenos Aires a few years ago and really loved it there. So and just the sort of football, the passion for football in that part of the world is amazing. I'd mm. love to play for River Plate or Boca or you know any of the clubs in in Buenos Aires. Really, what about you, Matt? Would you uh, be tempted I, by MLS? I can't believe we've all gone for Italy. I'm <laughs> I'm going. Kirsty and Phil location 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 here <laughs> and <laughs> I'm definitely going to Como with Cesc Fabregas I just think it's an unbelievable part of the world Lake Como oh yeah looks beautiful um I'm much more of a lake to a beach guy so yeah just sort of waking up to these stunning views and an amazing stadium on the side of the lake everything looks beautiful it seems very peaceful as well um maybe not in the touristy bits but you know one of these small towns very peaceful and um yeah, beats beats the big city life. Yeah. So I'm going to say Como. Yeah, that's true. Actually, when Fabregas joined them the other week, I was like, "Why has he gone there?" And then I thought about, it, I was like, "Oh, that's why he's gone there because it's bloody wonderful." Yeah, yeah I, imagine that. Like you're playing in Serie B, you haven't got so much money to offer, but you can also say, "Hey, living in Como." You're yeah. like, "Oh my god, that's that's the best pull ever." <laughs> on, yeah. So yeah, I I'm looking at a picture of the stadium right now that Damiano in our Italian newsroom sent to me because he's he's from Como. And um, look, I can even take my yacht to the game. That's how close the stadium is to the water. I mean, what's not to love about it? It looks beautiful. Yeah. Well, remember, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can email us your questions, comments or abuse to podcast.onefootball.com or tweet us at FussballDan or Matt underscore Frolic or Joel S. Murray. If you want to slag him off, go go right ahead. He's he's ready and waiting for you. (laughs) And naked. I'm naked, yeah. He's, he's, he's looped up and ready. God, I shouldn't have said that, should I? <laughs> well, on that bombshell. <laughs> Thanks to Matt and Joel for joining me and to everyone for listening. We'll be back on Monday to review the weekend's action, so be sure to tune in then. Yeah.